Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Hi, Bill. Hey, Holly. <laughs> well, uh, we had a Sunday last Sunday. We did. What did that feel like for you? Ah, uh, it was um, well. Both of us were nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt wonderful. Mm-hmm. It felt wonderful to be back in that space with people, and um, all the hugging and smiling and tears for joy that went on. It's mm-hmm. just wonderful. And um, I I checked our analytics on Squarespace the next day because I want to keep assuring people that we are going to continue to um, live stream. Absolutely. We had people from 18 other states join us Sunday. Wow. That's cool. It is Um, cool. You know, it's, I was, two sort of images stick out in my mind. One, (laughs) we were both nervous and watching you by the window, just kind of observe people come in like a a kid in a candy shop, kind of, or trying to get into a candy shop. (laughs) Um, And also, um, I said it on Sunday, but the laughter just hearing people laugh. You've said this before that speaking to an audience is so intimate. It can, it's like making love. Right. Um, and that responsiveness or laughter or, um, the quizzical look of what say that again, you know, (laughs) um, that, that was really, it's funny the things we take for granted and having that in the room was a different kind of energy in a positive way. And and I think, uh, you know, we let people who listen to the podcast kind of in on the fact that we were introducing this new theme, Mm -hmm. uh, which we're calling the way of paradox and contradiction. Um, But I think people appreciated the fact that we have a new theme that we're doing and that we're doing it together along with other people are going to be coming in. You'll be bringing people in and I will be bringing people in. And sometimes you'll teach by yourself and sometimes I will. And we'll just keep people off balance by <laughs> never telling them <laughs> what's going to be happening. And no, we'll tell you. Well, maybe our little unicycle guy is just perfect then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have found myself the last couple of weeks really energized about the content of ordinary life Mm -hmm. you know i've been teaching ordinary life for a long time and um i will confess that there are times that i will kind of look down the future path for the future and think well i've said about all i know how to what to say you know and then i'll go through these periods like i am right now where it feels like, oh my God, I, I hope I'd have another 20 years. Yeah. 
Well, I gave you the philosopher's stone, which is, you know, the stone for eternal life. So we know you're not going anywhere fast. (laughs) Um, Don't lose it. Um, But yeah, you know, it is so interesting how creativity sort of falls upon you and it does Mm -hmm. come in waves. I mean, I think you know this as a public speaker. I know this as an artist that it just sort of, it does, it comes in waves and sometimes we're plodding along to get through to the next wave and sometimes you're just riding the wave and Mm -hmm. it i i have i absolutely love thinking about (laughs) which is a paradox by itself thinking about paradox (laughs) Mm -hmm. but um being in it i guess because truthfully it is all the time Mm -hmm. and um I, I found something we, we both, we both love Meister S. Eckhart. And I don't know if I love him because you introduced us to him in ordinary life, or if we came to him separately, but either way, he is someone with eternal wisdom because he speaks in non-dual language because he mm-hmm. writes in non-dual mind. And I would love to read something that I read from his little book of secrets. And, and this is not, you have it too, I think, but it's not um, literally translated from Meister Eckhart. It is some translation, some interpretation, and some kind of writing the gestalt of Meister mm-hmm. Eckhart, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I loved this short little meditation. It says, just for a moment, if you could see who you really are for only a moment, you would see your life and all life pure being, nobility and givenness, perfection, you would never turn away again. You know, this is um, such an amazing piece of synchronicity (laughs) because I brought to this podcast something to read from the same book. Yay! The same thing too? Because that would be No, not the same thing. Okay. (laughs) But something that I think is so beautiful and Mm -hmm. that really embraces the kind of mind-boggling nature of paradox and contradiction. Um, The title of this brief meditation in Book of Secrets is Pay Attention to the Nothing. And I set it up by saying that um, Meister Eckhart gave this sermon most of what we have of his are sermons or mm-hmm. talks that he did. And um, I have a number of books of his interpretations, also of his work by others. And this, this little book of secrets, which I think we both found by accident. Yeah. You know, one of those Amazon things that says, <laughs> if you like, then you might also like. And so here's, here's and the I setup. totally took the bait. <laughs> I'm glad I, I did. did too. Yeah. Here's the, here's the setup. Uh, it's, it's probably everybody listening to this podcast knows the story of the conversion of Saul. Mm-hmm. Saul is this um, fanatical Jewish opponent to the Christian early Jesus followers, and he's in the business of persecuting them. And on the road to Damascus, he has this blinding flash of light that comes upon him and he knocks to the ground and it says in the book of acts paul rose from the ground 
and with eyes open saw nothing. Mm. And here's the reflection by Meister Eckhart. Pay attention to the nothing the apostle saw with open eyes. Mm. And consider what a wonderful word this nothing is. What does this mean? I say that it could mean any of four things. First, he saw the nothing that was God. Second, when he got up, he saw nothing but God. Third, in all things, he saw nothing but God. And fourth, when he saw God, he saw all things as mm -hmm. nothing. Which one of these is true for you depends on how you look, not what you see. So pay attention to this nothing in the way you look. And in everything, find God with open eyes. Mm. I think that's so beautiful. There are so many little zingers that just came alive for me as you read that. It's so yeah. funny how sometimes hearing people read something that you've even already read just presents it in a whole new way. I'm going to use this Sunday, by the way. We might both reuse what we just read because it's worth hearing again. But one of the things that I'm thinking about is, you know, I've been reading this Catherine Keller book, um, Face of the Deep, and she's a process theologian and a feminist theologian. And she challenges the sort of traditional acceptance that God created something from nothing. And she says, no, there's no such thing as nothing. Even in that nothingness, there is a depth, there is activity, there is something being generated. And that little meditation speaks to that, right? The generativity of nothingness, the everything of nothingness. And I, I'm, I, I've said this about Catherine Keller's work. It's, it's, it's deep, it's dense. It requires you to read and reread paragraphs. Um, she calls on a lot of philosophical history that if you're not familiar with, read the footnotes because it's worthwhile. <laughs> but you know, she, she just really challenges thousands of years of accepted theology. There's no such thing as nothing because nothing contains everything. And I just, that while you read that, just kind of went, yeah. <laughs> and the other piece, and I love this from Teilhard so much, his book, The Phenomenon of Man, opens with, um, the whole of life lies in one word, to see, or one verb, I should say, to see. And how we see and what we see is what also elevates our consciousness. So it's sometimes, I should say, it's less about what we see, but how we see, how we choose to sort of, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that is exactly what Taya is talking about. And it's what we're going to be talking about Sunday mm -hmm. and, and try to figure out a way to talk about it. <laughs> Without um, the initial response from everybody in the Ordinary Life audience saying, oh, I know about that. <laughs> you talk about spiritual practice all the time. <laughs> yeah. So how can we say it without getting people to get turned off? What? Uh, what I am finding in the books that I am reading now, some of them I'm rereading, but 
uh, I think this is, let me just put a parenthetical thing in here. I think one of the blessings of the pandemic is that we have been given a time to uh, have a kind of monastic life. Mm -hmm. and uh, that's given us given me at least time for more reading and for more reflection and uh, to benefit from that so one of the things that I've been doing is rereading the rule of Saint Benedict and books mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. um, one of the most life-changing books that I've recommended to people in ordinary life is a book about that's based on the rule of St. Benedict called Always We Begin Again, mm -hmm. but there are hundreds of books about yeah. the rule of St. Benedict, and it too is a path of contradiction and paradox. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I want to be talking about that as we go forward, because I think um, we have an opportunity to engage the world in a different way now. Yeah, And I want to emphasize that one of the first fruits of spiritual practice must have to do with ethics. Mm. That's what yoga is all about. Um, it's less an exercise to look cute in yoga pants while you're doing it. <laughs> then it is a practice, an ethical practice. And one of the tenets of yoga is how do I engage ethically with the world? So in some ways, a kind of engaged Buddhism, right? How do mm -hmm. I engage ethically with those around me, with all of life? And I think sometimes we forget to include all beings, all of life. In, in that site. Sometimes we think it's about just the human existence. We've become so anthropocentric. My um, reading of Lady Anne Conway, who is a Neoplatonist, she wrote during the time of Descartes and challenged Descartes' dualism in the moment, a woman. Uh, and, you know, this was, that's phenomenal. She was not traditionally schooled. She had a tutor who thought she was brilliant and just kept feeding her and then encouraged her to write her philosophy down. And her philosophy, although it, it, it too needs to evolve, she expressed this sort of awe for life on every level from what we think is not alive, let's say like a rock, right? To what we know is very much alive, like a horse or a human being. But she talks about how even the rock has, however slow, moving, however stagnated, a kind of life because it, it becomes something else. She mm -hmm. talked about the process of a decaying log that we think is the most dead thing we can think of, but out of that decaying log, bacteria emerge, you know, little worms emerge, those little worms become flies, those flies, you know? So she just really had this sense of, of holistic thinking and it's not the way that modernity took. Modernity took the Cartesian mind-body dualism. Somebody sent me a TED talk this week that I took the time to watch. It was much shorter than most TED talks. Mm. But the guy who did it, I'm sorry, I can't get the reference to it right now, talked about how we are, again, this first generation of people who have the capacity because of the Hubble telescope and the electron microscopes to go further 
out and see what has never been seen by humans before and also to go further in that's right and to see what's never been seen before yeah. and the the little creatures who live on your eyelashes have you seen that yes <laughs> don't think too hard about it <laughs> but yes yeah I, I mean in our body is an entire universe right and to those microscopic organisms, we are the universe. And that is beautiful to me. I have, I, I have a friend, I will name him because he's um, uh, come to Ordinary Life, Dr. Wayne Smith, um, who is retired now, MD, uh, who's spent his life researching these very things that live inside the human body that make us thrive, mm -hmm. the things that are alive in our gut. Mm -hmm. that um, the why we take probiotics that that's sort of right thing, you know? yeah. yeah the microbiome yeah we have this whole little universe inside of our body that that generates regenerates and generates our livelihood and you know yeah I love that stuff I can totally geek out on that because it it, it we we have as I said become so anthrocentric like so focused on the human experience and the human being as the sort of most evolved in the world. And do you know, do you know what Fermi's paradox is? Speaking of paradoxes, what he, he's a, a Fermi's paradox. He's an Italian physicist. And he, you know, we have this, this notion of an infinite universe, or at least a very, very, very expansive universe. And we presume that because everything exists in sort of holograms, mm -hmm. in other words, there may be another Holly and Bill in this moment and another universe having a conversation <laughs> very much like the one we're having right now, right? So everything exists in sort of parallel. But Fermi's paradox is we, we sort of can conceive of this, but we've never had any real proof of intelligent life outside of this universe, this, this solar system. And yet we accept it as true. So the paradox is like, we sit with this idea that the universe itself breeds intelligence, right? I don't believe that it ends with just us, but the paradox is that we've never seen it. We don't know how to conceive of it. Right. And I, I think that that's part of what keeps us going is this pursuit of meaning, wisdom, and experience, if you will. You know, this is kind of a related thing and uh, I know that as you and I have been working on getting ready to do our teaching on Sunday, we've said as much that, you know, this could be a much longer series of talks than because it's just, I experience that I'm just opening the doors to things that, I, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> but here's a paradox yeah. for you. Yeah. We have this machine who I think is aptly named Perseverance, crawling around on the surface of Mars in a dry lake bed to discern what kind of life there may have been, might still be, what the future mm -hmm. possibility is. And I was thinking about the human ingenuity and the teamwork and the planning and the hoping that went into doing that. It is a 
it's uh, it's almost on the level of miraculous that human oh, beings sure. have come together and put all this technology and learning and everything together and we got this thing on mars right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. why in the cuss word <laughs> the best i'm gonna start using that <laughs> can we not use that hum same human ingenuity and planning and technology to provide clean drinking water to people? Right. right. In Flint, Michigan. That would actually prevent, that's right. In Flint, Michigan, right along the coast of Texas. Yes. Right? I mean, Why is it this, this happening? And that, yeah. that's a paradox that just blows my mind. Why? Right. I, I read a report this week that just kind of broke my heart about how. Mm. Um, during the, the freeze and during other natural disasters that have happened, that our government rewards white people differently for their damage than it does people of color. Yeah. And the reason There's... for that is the systemic built-in um, devaluation of property and goods owned by black and brown people. That's right. There was an article not too long ago. I can't remember what publication, um, but I'm going to take a guess. It was either the Atlantic, the New York Times, an op-ed or something like Huffington Post that I get, you know, regularly on my phone that talked about a woman, a black woman who's a homeowner who, in trying to prepare her property to sell, wanted to get an estimate for what it was worth. Um, she had worked with three different people who lowballed her by almost 50%. Then she had her friend who is a white man call, pretend it removed from the house all evidence of her blackness, like photos, et cetera, and had the white man act as if it was his house mm -hmm. and got an estimate and got something 50% higher. You know, so she, she kind of was like, why am I getting such a low estimate? She was looking at property values around her, which was, um, you know, mixed race, but probably largely white. And, and it was the only thing she could point to was when I had my white friend call, he got a higher estimate of what it was worth. And this is, these are things that are true, but that you and I don't experience as true because of the skin we live in, mm. you know? And so we, that, you know, I, I, I definitely hear people's voices of casting doubt on it. Well, how do you know that's what it really was? And, and part of it for me um, is like learning to trust that when people experience something like that, that it's true, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, not to, not to lay my sort of uh, wishful thinking on top of it. Um, yeah, but why can't we use our ingenuity to come up with systems of equity and inclusion and equality? You know, I mean, that's just feels like we keep telescoping outward, which is amazing. We can see amazing things through what space technology has shown us. But the telescoping, what's the opposite of a telescope? Whatever a microscope. the microscope, mm -hmm. yeah. So we, we using the microscope to go back inward and say, we have to be constantly in this telescoping and microscoping pattern. I think to look outward, to go back inward, to look outward, to go back inward. That's my longing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, I think that what uh, spiritual teachers have to do is <clears throat> keep reminding people of this in ways that mm -hmm. uh, stand a chance of gaining a hearing. Mm 
Um, I don't know what you've read about predictions having to do with the future of organized religion in uh, the United States, uh, let's say of the Christian religion in the United States, but it is waning in spite yeah. of in spite of the wedding that is taken between it placed between evangelical Christianity and right wing politics, that's not Christianity, yes. and um, even that is waning. It's it's dying, mm -hmm. and um, I think there will always be a place for religious rituals. Yeah. That people will want to as as humans have since the beginning of Homo sapiens have created rituals around death, birth, seasonal changes, uh, rites of passage of various kinds. I think that, that there will always be a function to that. But we're graduating people from universities and high schools, like that young um, valedictorian I sent to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know what? I, I wonder said... if you could play that someday. Oh, for sure. I bet we can embed that video. I, I'll figure out if we can, but um, for context, and I'll put the link in, maybe I won't put the link. If We'll see if we can play it Sunday, but, the, but it's a young black man from, I don't remember what state, but he was a valedictorian of his high school and giving this amazing speech. Well, one of the, one of the people who's a faithful listener to this podcast sent that to me. Oh, wonderful. And I asked him where he got it, and it's the nephew of an attorney mm -hmm. who lives on the East Coast, I think, in the Carolinas. But I'll find okay. out more about it than uh, of yeah. an, uh, whose podcast he listens to. I am so amazed sometimes and heartened by young people. You know, I, I think about, you know, sometimes we have side conversations with Olivia and William, especially in the last year, because it's been just us in the room what remarkable young people they are, you know, and, um, and I just, I'm inspired by young people who are using their voice in ways that is really powerful. And it's not always about justice. It might be about environmental justice. It might be about, um, my, my child is passionate about ecology and kind of, he's been researching renewable energy and kind of expanding his he's 11 and he's expanding his vocabulary in this way. I, I just am really amazed in some ways by what technology has given us in our capacity to learn. You know, we have a lot of information at our fingertips and therefore can kind of use the time that we might otherwise sort of be looking for a book in a library or inquiry around different people that we know. We can go directly to this source and our kids have this whole universe available to them to expand their imaginations. But yeah, I think young people are doing incredible things right now. And part of me is sad about that because I think we've left our young people kind of a raw deal. I sent to Richard Wingfield a piece of information that I got this past week, um, actually on the 5th of June. On the 5th of June in 1977, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak introduced the Apple II computer. Mm -hmm. It had four kilobytes of memory. It sold for about $1,300. Mm -hmm. 
For that same money today, you can buy an iMac with four gigabytes. That's a million times the original amount of memory. And yeah. with all the other stuff it costs. I sent that to Richard Wingfield. Uh, and he said to me, yeah, I know it's crazy. I did a present, presentation last year, Zoom, of course. But in researching for it, found that the $1,000 iPhone today has more raw computing powder, power than the $16 million craze supercomputer that UT Austin purchased in the 90s. Wow. I mean, it's just... So in our pockets, we have access to yeah. high-speed, more information than we ever could have imagined possible even 20 years ago. You know, it's we, just, we do yeah. know that it's shaping the way that children think. For sure. It's changing the way that they learn to read. It's cha even changing the physical construction of their brain. We don't know. There's no sense in saying this is good or bad for right now. Right. We don't know. Yeah. I know that for me, I don't need to retain as much in my memory. Right. Because um, Sherry can turn to me and say, say what does CO, uh, COPD stand for? Well, mm -hmm. you can look it up in a split mm -hmm. second. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And, so, you know, in some ways you you might say, well, that just makes us lazier. Does it make our capacity for information and knowledge less? But I think it also has the possibility to make our capacity for things we have not yet imagined bigger because we're not using this part, this part of our brain to just like short term memory or long like phone numbers. I, I had a whole slew of phone numbers that I just knew by heart when I was young because I had to you know, and now I, I think I have three phone numbers memorized. Mine, Josh's and my childhood phone number <laughs> and that's it. But it's, you know, I think I just wonder, are we, is part of our evolution making more space for that which we have not yet imagined? I think it is. And it's making more space for uh, more creativity. Yes and yeah. uh, making connections with things that we had not uh, seen connections between before. At mm -hmm. least that's my experience. That when I look up something on the internet, I'm led to something else, which leads me to something else. And, oh, wow, I never thought about putting those things together. And then yes. that, that gives you a whole nother thing. It's, it's, there used to be a word for it a long time ago, um, Oh, I can't, it's not brainstorming. And I can't think of the word right now, but it's, it's <laughs> the way that people put patterns of things together to achieve connections between things that they had never seen before. Yes. Yeah. 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 Writers do that. Right. And mm -hmm. you know, it's an interesting thing that actually speaking of writing is changing for kids is handwriting. Kids don't, do handwriting as much anymore because so much of it's typed um, and autocorrects corrects their spelling, these kinds of things. So it's just, those are interesting things. I don't know if that's good or bad either, but, um, but it is. And I was just speaking, you know, so I have a son who's about to finish fifth grade and um, fifth grade is a little milestone because the next school chunk is middle school and you leave your elementary school and go to middle school. Um, and I was speaking to a mother, her name is Tamari Cooper, and she runs a little theater in, in Houston called the Catastrophic Theater. 
And um, she was saying, speaking of imagination and how we sort of, I think the artists in this last year have been instrumental in helping us to hold a mirror to what's happening during COVID, during uh, racial injustice, during economic injustice. And so Tamara is an artist. And what they did was they did these little mini theater moments in people's houses. So they sort of booked themselves to be a sort of wandering troupe, if you will, mm. you know, like the old theater days, yeah. but did it in people's yards, garages, houses during the last 15 months. And I, when she told me that, I'm getting chills thinking about it. I'm thinking, what an intimate experience, right? She brought art to people's homes to be able to help process the moment that we're in. Mm -hmm. I just think that's, that is an incredible use of creativity that may have been taken up by memorizing phone numbers 25 years ago. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> I was talking to an attorney yesterday, a woman mm -hmm. who is, uh, Stanford graduate, very bright mother. She's a mother, married, all this. And she was saying kind of as a joke, but it wasn't a joke. She said, you know, if you want to really solve the problems in America, get rid of the CIA and the FBI and this and that and so forth and just use mom's groups. Mom's <laughs> groups on Facebook can solve everything. Oh, Yeah. And sometimes it gets really bad. I'm just going to say there's an ugly side to all that too, because it can get um, a little catty, but, uh -huh. um, but there, but moms, man, you put moms on things and we've got some fierceness to our bones for sure. <laughs> um, I just had this thought, you know, you know, it's so easy to kind of be nostalgic. Um, I sometimes experience, for example, David Brooks as a very nostalgic writer. Uh -huh. I see a shift in his writing lately. I'll, I definitely will give him that. But I see him sometimes bending backward towards nostalgia. Back in my day, things were so, but I just had this moment of like, you know, thinking about um, Tamri and her wondering troupe of actors. That is how acting was done in the early days of theater before we had cell phones, before we had technology, before we had lights, before we had to memorize cell phones. So there was a simplicity maybe, right? Yeah. And I'm wondering, is the, are all these advances in technology able to give us in some way a kind of simplicity again? You know, so it's that sort of transcend and include. We have this idea of simplicity. We've gotten more complex in our technology and in our systems and in the ways that we have to attain and store information, but it may give us some space for simplicity again. Mm. I don't know. Just a thought. So um, I saw a sign, and I'm sure you've seen this. It's mm. been, it's appeared in several different formats over the way late. It says, don't you just hate it when it is nine o'clock at night and your computer doesn't respond the way you want to. And your technical support person is already in bed because he has to get up and go to school in the morning and he's eight <laughs> that's right <laughs> well i know yeah. what that feels like um because i feel that technology is outstripping me i can't keep up with it and and the people who are entering now for them it's just second nature 
And um, Sherry and I were talking last night about the fact that both of us have had relatives. I can remember my grandparents, particularly my grandmother, saying, I must, and I must have been in high school at the time. Um, she said, would say, well, I'm ready to go. I don't mm -hmm. want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. The world is too complicated for me. And so they just mm -hmm. want to give up. And I, I think that we have also an ethical responsibility to embrace, recognize, support, and allow our elders to flourish. Yes. I think you are so tender to that, partly because of where you are in your life, right? Mm -hmm. um, even though you have forever from now, but um, <laughs> it, I, I was just thinking as you were saying that one of the things, and um, this is a compliment, so go ahead and start blushing, um, is that really is so attractive to you as a teacher or about you as a teacher is that you have remained so relevant. Mm. You continue to speak into what is happening in the moment. And I, I just even you know, it's hard to observe your own evolution, but sometimes in midlife, we can sometimes get there and observe our own, the inner observer, right? But even so observing myself and observing you, I just really love that throughout the years that I've been learning from you, that you've remained so relevant. Mm. And I think that's a gift to other people in your age category. Mm, thank to you. help them remain, us all to remain relevant. Mm. So I have a, I do all of my writing on mm. either my iPad mm -hmm. or my desktop computer. I don't do almost anything by pen anymore. Yeah. I'm, I occasionally make notes uh, about something. And I have, uh, again, thank you, Richard Wingfield. I have this program that will allow me to go back and search for stories I've told or classes I've taught or whatever in the past, all of my stuff for the last 30 years is on computer. Wow. So there's a story I want to tell Sunday, I think. And I don't remember when I told it, if it was long enough ago, I can get away with telling it again. Mm-hmm. And I have this miraculous program that I can put a few words into. And in a split second, it will say, you told this story 15 years ago. Okay, home free. I can use it again. I can use it again. I can use Everybody's it again. But my point is, when I go back and read the whole talk in which yeah. the story appeared, yeah. I sit there and I think, did I really say that? My God, that is so stale <laughs> I so mean, yeah but that's what's so beautifully that evolution right yeah. um sitting with nothingness back to the beginning sitting so with nothingness. i i hope that people um are catching the excitement that we have about where we are yeah. and where we're going well it gets, and, allows us to be artists yeah, right like this yeah. just to be creative with yeah. our thinking yeah. and our writing yeah. so yeah. So yeah. Um, we're going to, the title of our talk Sunday is Letting the Cat Out of the Bag. 
there's a subtitle to that too. I think that's the one I accidentally gave Richard for the Eventbrite, but we're going to let some cats out of some bags. Are you going to bring your cat? We are going to let some cats out of some bags. And I'm I'm really happy to tell you about that. I, (laughs) um, I was making a note this morning uh, about, uh, I can't follow it. Um, about what we were, the next Sunday, Jim Bankston, Dr. Jim yes. Bankston and I are going to talk. And oh man, I love and appreciate Jim yes. so much. I do too. He's I a dear too. man. Mm-hmm. Well, Holly, I need to go yeah. to my next assignment. Well, I hope you do well on that assignment. <laughs> and I'll I, see you uh, on Sunday. Studied appropriately and I'll see you Sunday. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.